0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap United States Men's National Team World Cup Edition. We are coming to you moments after the United States and England ended in a 0-0 draw, the first ever 0-0 game in United States men's national team history. A bit of a surprising result, as England was minus 200 favorites at most books. Um, I think a lot of people were expecting England to come in and uh, cruise easily, uh, especially after how good they looked against Iran and how the U.S. did not hold on to their lead against Wales. But the United States get a pretty key point uh, against a supposedly superior opponent. Uh, I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Sean Donahue. Sean, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. I mean, I think uh, we saw the result this morning where I ran shocked Wales with a 2 nothing victory um, in stoppage time two two extremely late goals, think like 98th and um, nine, well, I guess 101st minute uh, in that game um, after Wales' goalkeeper was ejected, I think in the 83rd minute or something like that. Um, So that was a, a kind of a shock result we started the day with, which pretty much meant that You know, kind of regardless of what happened today, the U.S. was still going to be in it in that final game um, and would need a win. So I think that took a little bit of the stress away from this game that we thought was going to be there. Um, And then to see the U.S. go and get a draw, which doesn't really change things. They still need a win in the final game of the season, the final game of the uh, group stage. Um, I was just very pleased to see how the U.S. played this game. The fact that they actually... Uh, I think they outshot England 10 to 8. Uh, They led in expected goals, 0.61 to 0.54. Overall, just a a very good day for the U.S. and a way to build some momentum going into that final game where they'll need to win against Iran.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because I think this is a result to be celebrated. I think anytime time you go up against a team like England, who was maybe not the favorite coming into the World Cup, but you didn't have to scroll down very far uh, to, to see them. Someone who has very high hopes to going very deep in this tournament um, to kind of go up against them and, quite frankly, outplay them. Uh, I, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful result. Um Morally, but if you look at the standings page, the revs or sorry, not the revs, uh, the United States still has to go in and beat Iran uh, next week. Uh, so um, it doesn't do a whole ton for them standings wise. But I certainly feel a lot better about the United States right now than I did coming into this tournament, and certainly uh, after that Wales game where they couldn't hold on to the lead.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a momentum thing too, because you 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 know going into the last game, you knew you were going to need a win based on what happened this morning. Unless unless the U.S. had shocked England and beat them, which I think we all um, I mean, it could have happened the way they played today, but going into today, I think we all thought was that was very unrealistic. Um, so it doesn't really change that, but I think it's all all about momentum. Iran is obviously going into the final game with a lot of momentum, having got that late win. And if the U.S. had kind of gotten out to a disappointing result here, if they had lost, if they had you know been humiliated, or even if they had given up a goal late in this one to kind of you know hurt their confidence, I think that would have been you know made things a lot tougher going into that last game. But you know the result doesn't mean too much. It does mean that you know no matter what, if the U.S. wins. They move on. You know, there were some scenarios where if the U.S. had lost this game and Wales kind of surprised everybody and blew out England, um, that even if the U.S. beat Iran, they might not have advanced. Now that's off the table. No matter what, if the U.S. wins, they go on. Um, It's a very, very clear, easy scenario for them. Um, And just the momentum from this game, I think, is huge, given, you know, a little bit of disappointment the way that Wales game ended.
0: It is a win and you're in situation, uh, which I don't know. I'm certainly feeling pretty confident about the United States, but they'll have to take care of business. Um, Sean, I don't know if you've already touched on it, but I want to ask you for your key takeaway and our key takeaways are brought to us by our friends at the rebellion. Go to Nerebellion.org to learn about their organization and how you can become a member 2023 uh, memberships for the rebellion are now on sale. Uh, Sean, what's your key takeaway from this game?
1: I think think there's a lot of things you can take away from this one, a lot of uh, good performances, a lot of some things on the negative too that we'll talk about later, but I'm actually going to focus on Matt Turner. Um, and my key takeaway is that he looks a lot more comfortable with the ball at his feet than he ever used to his distribution overall was pretty solid 71.4% passing accuracy. And there are so many times where I think there was that one time even late in the game where he, you know, took three or four dribbles where everyone was wondering what he was doing. Um, but you know, ended up being smart about it and playing, playing a nice pass. Um, uh, it's just that, you know, we talked about when Matt Turner going to Arsenal, that he was going to have to learn to be better with the ball at his feet. You know, Greg Burhalter had said that before that you know, part of the reason Zach Steffen was playing over him was, you know, the way... Uh, Greg Berhalter like to played with the goalkeeper um, helping with distribution and playing with the ball at his feet and Matt Turner I think just you know he, we talked about with the revs he improved at that a lot but I think even since then you know in his time at Arsenal we've you know based on how he played in this game uh, he's taken it to another level and that's you know huge for his game he made a couple of really nice saves um, but one of his bigger contributions and this was you know, a lot of balls went back to him a lot of passes back and he just handled them very smoothly uh, very calmly and you know there wasn't much shakiness at all from him in this game where you know, if you look at some of the World Cup qualifiers, um, there were certainly times where he was a bit shaky. And on top of that, too, I think he handled crosses very, very well. He had a lot of them to deal with, and he looked extremely confident in that. So, you know, a couple of aspects of his game were maybe a year or two ago you would have said needed some improvement. Uh, I thought he showed a ton of improvement in this one, and it was absolutely great for Matt Turner's stock the way he played in this game. And one play I think that will get a lot of praise and, and got a
0: lot of praise uh, in, in real time on social media was him gathering the ball, him running up, punting the ball deep to Pulisic and and starting a, a counterattack and, uh, you know, the ball was knocked off Pulisic, but you know, that was an amazing distribution, pretty much straight to midfield that led a a very fast counter attack. So yeah, Turner's distribution looks amazing. The one thing I'll say is that in the Wales game, Turner came way out of net to head the ball and was pretty much bailed out from a Kela Acosta, uh, Kellen Acosta foul, uh, from, from Gareth Bale scoring from midfield, basically. Um, Matt Turner kind of running out of net again with the ball at his feet. Didn't lead to anything negative, uh, but I, I wonder if he's getting a little too confident, uh, and cause he's come out of net twice in two games. And I think he's given everyone in the country watching the game, a, a, a bit of a heart attack, uh, with these, with these moves. So, um, that's my only real kind of concern is that maybe he's getting a little too confident, uh, out of net, uh, but, uh, Overall, I I think he played very, very solid, some nice uh, saves, really nothing allowed on crosses. I thought everything he did anticipation-wise for these crosses, I mean, England was getting absolutely nothing. It seemed like they wanted to cross the ball a lot today, uh, and Matt Turner was having none of it, so uh, a really solid performance from him.
1: Yeah, and again, despite the fact he only had uh, three saves, he had 45 touches, which is you know a lot for a goalkeeper, and, and certainly not what he was seeing in uh, Bruce Arena's system with the Revs. Um, so it, it was just a very solid performance for him. Like you said, there were was that that incident in the Wales game where he came out and headed it, and uh, you know got bailed out by the of foul. But um, you know, despite giving giving everyone a bit of a heart attack when he had that run out, he you know, was very calm and played a nice pass. Um, and just a very good performance against a you know very difficult opponent. So it was it was great to see that from him. And uh, Footmob actually had him as the man of the match with a seven point nine rating. Who scored had him as the US's best player with a seven point four eight. Not the overall best player, um, but uh, you know again just a very good performance from the former Revolution goalkeeper in this one.
0: Uh, also too, no goals conceded. Uh, from the run of play yet so far for Matt Turner. So uh, I I think there's also two, and I'll make this my key takeaway. Uh, I think there's a a lot of credit to this defense. The defense looks very, very solid. And certain players were tested a lot today. Robinson was tested a lot early on by Sokka down that right side. Um, I feel like Tim Ream is playing phenomenal. He's been great. Am I crazy? I mean, Tim Ream, a lot of people were surprised he's getting the nod. He he might be the best defender out there uh, so far of these past two games. Um, Zimmerman makes me nervous not just because of the Gareth Bale uh, penalty kick, but he had a very, very silly turnover in his own half and stoppage time today, which led to an England uh, counter-attack. He he seems a little bit out of it. He seems a little bit, I don't know, unsure. Um, And I'm a little concerned. We might get another Zimmerman gaffe uh, in game three. Um, If if I had to pick a weak spot along that back line, I I would say Zimmerman might be it. Uh, But overall, this defense had a lot of weapons to go up against on against England. And, really gave him nothing. So uh, I think this back line Matt Turner and this back line really, really high marks for me over the past two games.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I also am with you that Zimmerman is the guy that's caused me the most kind of heartburn <laughs> over these first two games. Um, you know, there's the, the bail penalty kick. But and this one, like you said, it was it was his passing. Um and it wasn't just the the play you mentioned. That was that was one of them. But there were at least three plays I remember where he tried to, you know, do some sort of you know offensive minded pass and, and split a couple defenders to get to uh, potential attacking situation and they just were bad passes and he turned the ball over. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that Greg Berhalter wants him to play that way. He, you know, lets his center backs to make those nice passes to spring attacks, but uh, it hasn't been good enough from him in the passing game. He had 87.5% passing accuracy, which on paper is pretty solid, but, um, there were some notable key turnovers from him that were you know, particularly troubling and uh, defensively, I thought it was actually pretty solid in this game, but those passes, those turnovers is just, you know, that could come back to haunt the, the U S it almost came back to haunt them in this game. Um, and you hope he can cut that down in the next game. I'd like to see him play a bit simpler. Um, it just, it doesn't seem to be his game to kind of play those defense splitting passes from the, the center back spot. And the amount of times he tried that in this one and they didn't come off were uh, very troubling, but. Uh, other than that, like you said, I think the defense played extremely well. Anthony Robinson is playing very, very, very well. And, you know, as a 25-year-old left back, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some offers in this winter, um, given how he's playing to to go to a club that's a bit, you know, he's obviously playing in the Premier League with Fulham, but in kind of a lower tier Premier League club. It wouldn't surprise me if he got offers to go to a better team. Um, he's been very good. Serginho Dest um, has had, you know, more of a mixed performance, I think. But, you know, he's he's showing well. Um, He's another guy that probably needs to find a new club soon. Um, You know, given his situation, we got benched at Barcelona and then loaned out to AC Milan, where he's not playing very much. So uh, a lot of these defenders are putting on a really good showcase. But Tim Ream, the 35-year-old, who we didn't expect to make this roster until some injuries happened um, and was thrown right into the starting lineup, has been kind of the the, the top defender for the U.S. in this one. Um, Really, really impressive performance from him. And I'm sure it helps to have him as kind of a left center back playing alongside Robinson like they do for the club team. That chemistry is certainly there, and I'm sure that's helping.
0: Yeah, the one, the one play I want to point out about dust, though, is there is one point where I think Luke Shaw just dusts him uh, kind of yep. late in the first half, and there was a cross, and it went straight to Saka, but as the commentators noted, Robinson stayed right on him, Saka didn't really have too much space, and he ends up skying the ball over the bar, uh, but that was one of England's kind of better chances, too, and on the Zimmerman play I mentioned where he turns the ball over his first half, or, or, or sorry, his own half, late in stoppage time in the second half. Um, there's a turnover. The U.S. commits a foul. It leads to that Harry Kane header that goes wide. So that could have been disastrous as well. But outside of that, there's not too many um, negative plays from this defense. And, and you know, even Walker Zimmerman, I mean, we're, we're speaking negatively about him. Uh, he blocked Kane's shot uh, in the 10th minute there. And one of the better chances was, I believe, off of a corner kick, there was a set piece where Zimmerman's kind of running around to the far post. Harry Maguire heads it away, but Zimmerman was wide open. He could have been the goal scorer in this game uh, yep. if Maguire is you know, maybe a foot or two closer to the near post as opposed to the far post. So um, still some, some positives from Zimmerman in this game. I think he starts against Iran. I wouldn't hate if Cameron Carter Vickers was in there, um, but I, I think we're going to see Zimmerman against Iran. Any disagreement
1: there? No, I, I'd like to see him against Iran. I would just like Greg Berhalter to tell him, like, stop, stop trying these passes up the middle of the field and play it safer. You know, you don't, you don't need Walker Zimmerman to be the guy that's starting the attacks. I, I get why it would be great if he could, but I think he kind of showed today that that should not be his role. So I, I, I thought defensively he was great today. It's the, the passing aspect of his game where he, he was just trying too much. Um, and I'd like to see Greg Berhalter tell him to stop that. But I'm pretty sure the directions to do what he was doing were coming from Greg Berhalter.
0: Sean, are there any other positives you want to talk about uh, in regards to the United States men's national team today? Anything on your mind?
1: Yeah, I think Pulisic had a really good game. I don't don't think he had his best game against Wales. I thought he looked a lot better in this one, leading the attack, creating a lot of chances, uh, got four shots off, hit hit the post. There was a crossbar. Um, I just thought he had a really, really good, strong game. More of what you wanted from him. There were actually some people crazily calling for him to be benched um, after the last game, which I thought was insane. And I think he showed today why, why you can't do that. Um, and then I thought Tyler Adams, who had a fantastic game uh, against Wales, also had a really good game in this one, um, you know, covering for the fullbacks when they got forward is one aspect and just, you know, clogging up the lane in the middle. Um, so those were two guys that stood out to me. But r- really, I think you could p- pick out just about everybody on the U.S. team and have have mostly positive things to say. Um, I know we'll talk about a couple of negatives, but um, those were two guys that stood out to me and Pulisic in particular after you know, maybe not having the impact in the first game. that You hoped you would. Uh, I thought really had an impact in this game.
0: And I agree with those. I also want to give a... Big credit to Timothy Weah, who I thought played phenomenally in this game, uh, had the cross to McKinney in the 26th minute that McKinney skied over the bar. That might've been the best chance from the United States in this game. Uh, that could have changed everything completely. Uh, he also had a nice backheel that Sergio Des took down into the uh, attacking third, um, which I believe went out for a corner kick. Um, that was in the 41st minute. Uh, but he essentially set Des down the right side, uh, with a really, really nice backheel pass. Um, he, he had a really, really impressive game again, and he's been a difference maker, obviously, scoring in the first game. Uh, and he's really done a good job adding an attacking element to the right side, which I feel like takes a little bit of pressure off Christian Pulisic on the left side. So um, overall, uh, a pretty solid game from the attack, which I think a lot of people had questions about coming in, and they still have only scored one goal in two games. Uh, but I'm liking a lot of what I see out there. Um, not sure about Haji Wright starting. Not sure how I feel about that one. Even after this game happened, I'm still not sure about that one. Uh, did you have any thoughts on Wright starting tonight, Sean?
1: Yeah, to be, to be honest, I didn't mind it when I saw the lineup. I, I think he is the most informed striker for the U.S. at the club level. He's been absolutely tearing it up at Turkey for two seasons now, um, which you know is a pretty difficult league to play in. So I, I didn't mind it in that sense. I didn't think that Josh Sargent did particularly well against Wales, and I don't think that Jesus Ferreira has you know been particularly good in his past few u.s appearances so I, d- I didn't mind it when i saw it on paper um i kind of liked the going with the hot hand and you know they weren't switching up any other positions it, it made sense to kind of try to ch- change one thing to throw one curveball at england but um you know and i thought he was okay but i didn't think he had you know quite as much of an impact as you would have hoped um he did i think have the first shot for the u.s in the game the, a header that went wide um but it just didn't get that many touches didn't get as involved the 18 touches um you know, Part of that was England was defending pretty well, but I, I don't know. I, I don't think he earned another start with how he played in this game. Uh, I'll be very interested to see what the U.S. does against Iran, whether it's you know Josh Sargent back out there or Jesus Ferreira. It, would, it honestly wouldn't surprise me if we saw Ferreira out there as, as the striker, because I don't think any—that's kind of the one position for the U.S. where I don't think anyone's solidified the starting spot through these first two games, that's for sure.
0: And why don't we get to some negatives, Sean? Uh, what were you not impressed with today?
1: The same thing I wasn't impressed with <laughs> in the Wales game, which is set pieces. Um, I think Christian Pulisic, the service generally isn't as consistent or as good as you'd hope it would be. Um, and this has been something that's bugged me for quite a long time. Again, for all the praise I gave Pulisic earlier, uh, he's just not that great at set pieces. Um, and it's disappointing that, you know, they haven't found somebody else to take them. Kellen Acosta hasn't, didn't play in this game. Um, but I think even when he came on against Wales, he's a better set piece taker than Christian Pulisic. But I think, you know, even in the Wales game, when he came on, he wasn't taking the set pieces. Uh, Gio Reyna, also a better set piece taker than Christian Pulisic. You know, when he was on there, I don't think he got the chance to take one. Um, I, there might've only been one, but it was still Pulisic. Um, and, you know, not just to completely crap on Pulisic's set-piece taking, I think the, you know, kind of the runs and the setup on on these set-pieces wasn't great either. There was, you know, one or two services from Pulisic that really weren't that bad, but there was just nobody making a run to the near post. Um, U.S. historically has been a very strong team on set-pieces. That's where they've gotten a lot of goals. Uh, but this year's edition, it doesn't seem to be that much of a threat. And, you know, that's that's troubling because, especially against Iran, where there's probably going to be a lot of fouls, it's, it's a game where Iran— um, you know might be okay with a draw A draw might see Iran advance um, so they might be able to bunker in and, and set off for a draw and the U.S. is going to need to take advantage of set pieces and that's been something that's bugged me in these two games but also bugged me for a while because I just don't think Pulisic is that good at set pieces and when Gio Reyna and Kellen Acosta aren't out there um, I don't really know who else can take them nobody else really has uh, so that that's something that I think they need to fix against Iran and Sean
0: if we're going to talk about set pieces, I think we also got to bring up whatever that was at the end of the game, that abomination of a set piece where they kind of go short into the corner, force a throw in and the game's over. Um, no idea why you don't just push everyone up, throw it in the box and hope for the best. Even if you push it down in the corner, the best you can do is really cross it. So I don't know if they felt that Pulisic couldn't deliver a decent enough cross from back there. I'm not sure what the logic was, but that ball's got to go
1: in the box, doesn't it? It's got to go in the box, and Gio Reyna was out there. He should have taken that. I, I think Gio Reyna is much better at set pieces than Christian Pulisic. So all around, that was very frustrating to me um, that they you know, had a chance at the end of the game. Clearly got to be the last kick of the game. Why not take a chance? It, was, it basically seemed like they were settling for a draw. I don't know if it was the design to just waste time in the corner or what, but it, it was bizarre that they did that and extremely frustrating, like you said. Um, but, you know, again, Reyna is pretty good at set pieces. Why wasn't he just taking that one?
0: Before we continue, we want to talk about our sponsor, Glasso Kits. Galasso Kits' mission is to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home with a catalog of jerseys, jackets, scarves, and more from clubs and national teams from over 80 countries in the world. They have a United States men's national team merch, Revs merch. They have merch from your favorite European club or your favorite country that you are sporting during the World Cup. Galasso Kits will have something you need and want in your closet. And if you're not sure of what you want, you can check out their mystery kit packages when you enter in the size and style of jersey that you like. So go check out GalassoKits.com for their full selection and make sure you follow them at GalassoKits on Twitter and GalassoKits on Instagram for updates on their new inventory every single week. And right now through Black Friday, they're running a promotion 25% off everything in the store, no promo code needed. So that is GalassoKits.com, 25% off everything through Black Friday. I'm going to get to my negative in a second, but while we're talking about Gio Reyna, um, I think another game where Greg Berhalter kind of sits on his hands a little bit too long and waits to make some subs late in the game. Uh, Aronson and Reyna both made it on to the pitch to, for the end of the game, but it took a while for them to get out there. I don't think there a, a sub was made until, what, the 75th minute or something like that? Yeah,
1: 76. Yep.
0: And, and part of that is Aronson was waiting for like five minutes to get in the game, but still, uh, 70th minute sub, uh, Aronson coming on. And, and as we talked about, Sean, a draw, while morally uplifting um you know a win would have been much much more important for the united states and i feel like the u.s had some some gaps in this game where they were the superior team uh, they had England on their back heel and England put in some subs kind of gained some momentum put some fresher legs on and as a result I feel like that kind of took a little bit out of the United States uh, and, and they never really were able to push forward and, and be just as dangerous so I feel that the subs came way too late I feel Aaronson came on way too late I understand if Gio Reyna is on a, a minutes limit but I was really unimpressed with the amount of time it took for Brandon Aaron. To come on, um, any thoughts on the subs today and, and the wait to get them on?
1: Yeah, I think I think he hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, I, I know Greg uh, Burhalter takes a lot of crap for some of his tactical selections and some of his substitutions. I thought he got the tactics right today. I thought he got the lineup, you know, pretty much right today. I thought he got the subs as far as who he put in right today but the timing made no sense to me. It was clearly there were some tired legs out there. Um, England's subs seemed to shift the momentum in their favor a bit. I don't know why he waited so long to make those subs. You know, there's It's actually a pretty deep, US team at least as far as the guys he brought on I don't think you lose much quality or any Quality when you bring on a Brendan Aronson Who's playing so well in England um, I don't know why you wait till the 76th minute to do that And bring on fresh legs McKenney, I thought had a very good Game but we know he's been a guy that's been injured And hasn't had a lot of minutes this season because of it um, You know he he wasn't gonna go 90 I don't know why you don't bring it, bring on Aronson earlier I like that sub I hate when it happens um, I like the Shaq Moore sub I thought Des was kind of taking a beating and also Des was on a yellow card um, You don't want him to get a second yellow card and miss the Iran game um that's one thing we should mention that nobody got a yellow card for the US in this game or England, uh, which is great for the US. Nobody's gonna be suspended against Iran. That was one of the, the worries with the lineup. Um I thought Haji Wright, like like we talked about earlier, I didn't think he had that much of an impact. Um uh, I don't know why you need to wait to the 82nd minute to kind of switch things up and bring on fresh legs up top. Um, you know, I, I like the jaw sergeant for Haji Wright sub, but I don't know again why you wait till the 82nd minute. Um and then Gio Reyna, that's kind of the the one that's frustrated everybody is we didn't see him against Wales. After the game, Reina said he was 100%. Uh, Greg Burhalter mentioned that he had some tightness, and then later on said, oh, actually, he was 100%. So there was a lot of controversy there. I don't really the, – the quotes didn't add up. Um, you know, Burhalter after the game saying tightness, and then a day later saying he was fine. Um, you know, he's been playing for Dortmund. He I, I, He's actually had a couple starts since he came back from his injury. I get that you don't want to start him and play him 90 minutes, but you can't tell me you can't play him more than eight minutes at the end of the game. So uh, when you have a guy of, of Gio Reina's talent – you know, you could argue that Gio Reyna is the most talented player on the U.S. men's national team when he's fully healthy and fit. And I don't think he is fully fit or, or fully healthy, but he's pretty close to it. Um, I, I don't know why you wait to 82nd minute to do that either. Again, Timothy Weah played really well, um, like you said, but I, I I think that he was pretty tired. He was taking a beating. I don't know why you don't bring Gio Reyna on maybe in the you know, 70, 75th minute at, at the latest uh, in the situation. So, uh, again, I liked all the subs that Berhalter made. I think they should happen about 15 minutes sooner than they did.
0: Uh, one follow up question. You mentioned you like the sack more, uh, Moore
1: substitution, more over Yedlin. You're fine with that? Um, you know that was maybe the one question mark there. I like that desk came out. Um, I thought Moore actually did well. I I didn't think Yedlin was. I don't know. There were some moments against Wales where I wasn't impressed with Yedlin. If I was, if I'm being honest, if I was making the sub, I would have put Yedlin in. But I I don't I don't hate that sub, and I thought Shackmore did did okay.
0: And indifferent towards who come on, who came on for that. Yeah,
1: I'd, I'd probably lean a little bit towards Yeldon just for his experience in that situation and you know his pace and everything. But I, I thought Shaq Moore did fine, and I wasn't particularly thrilled with Yeldon's performance against Wales as a sub. So I, I can see why he went with Moore on this one.
0: Uh, I'm going to get to my negative real quick. uh, And that's just that I thought the refereeing was very poor. You mentioned there was no yellow cards in this game, which good for the United States, good for England, that no one is on yellow card watch. No one's approaching a a, a suspension, a yellow card suspension. With that being said, I I felt like as this game went on, I think players got a little bit more and more physical and were, you know, I don't want to say intentionally fouling, but um, they knew they could get away with some stuff. And uh, I think it really kind of took away from this game. And you look at the expected goals, neither team reaching one expected goal in this game, um, not a lot of chances overall. The uh, physicality of this game kind of took a a little bit out of it. And I think the referee not using the yellow card today when there are some situations where it's pretty clear that there should have been a yellow card. Um, I I do not have any positive uh, things to say about this referee. A lot of referees in this uh, World Cup Kind of highly questionable here. So um, yeah, I I think I just want to point out wasn't a big fan of the referee and the lack of yellow cards in this game.
1: Yeah, Luke Shaw in particular had one foul that stood out where he you know, went over the ball, took out Tim Way. That I think was a you know would have been a harsh red, but it was a borderline red, and you could have potentially justified a red, and you got nothing on it. There was you know a couple of plays that um, you know guys should have been yellow carded for. That one that one really stood out as a as a big miss um but yeah i agree it was it with the refereeing was not great in this one um i think he's lucky that the game didn't get more out of hand with kind of the how, how free he was letting them play um but you know there were certainly times where there should have been a yellow card and it's interesting that england now has gone through two games and has not picked up a single yellow card um so i guess good good for them they must be the uh, fair play team of the year uh the way, the way the way they're getting away with no yellow cards
0: there were late challenges all over the place and, and the referee just seemed like he was in a let them play mode um which I guess I guess it didn't really hurt the the, the United States, so I, I guess I'm fine with it. But um, I, I haven't really been a fan of refereeing at this World Cup overall. So, Sean, how do we feel against Iran? Are we we feeling positive? We think we're getting that three points and moving on?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, Iran put in a very good performance this morning against Wales. You know, even before they ended up winning it in, in overtime or stoppage time, I should say, um, they were you know they were playing pretty well. Um, it did take a red card to the goalkeeper for for them to end up actually scoring and, and getting that win. Um, but they outshot Wales twenty one to ten. Um, so they're a dangerous opponent. It's going to be very interesting. They've been an opponent that's been playing on the counterattack. The U S has, for the most part played on the counterattack. These first two games, uh, it's tactically going to end up being a very, very different game. Um, and the U S has struggled at times when they've had to play opponents that have been, you know, bunkering in and kind of playing for a draw. And I think that we might see that from Iran because, you know, in, in all probability, a draw would see, um, Iran advance again, unless Wales beats England. Um, uh, which I guess is is not out of the realm of possibility. But um so yeah, I think I think that this is gonna be a tough game for the US, but I feel a lot more confident about the US after how they played against England than I did after how they played against Wales. I thought it was a very good performance. I thought the fact that Pulisic was playing much better, um, you know, that that makes me feel more confident about the US's ability to break down Iran. Um, and I, you know, I think I think this is a winnable game for the US and I think it's a game that, you know, they do go on and win. They again, my one the one thing that Worries me is that it might take a set piece for them to score, and I'm that's where I'm not so confident in their ability right now. Yeah, and another thing
0: that's important here too is for Iran, they just need a draw. So I think what you said here is true. It's going to come down to how many times can the United States break through. I think if they're able to put two on the board, I think they're they're going to make it in. But um there hasn't been a lot of goals. I, I, I don't know. It, it it's going to be concerning, and and Iran. I'm I'm concerned. Uh, I I'm not completely concerned, but looking at the odds right now, USA is a minus 115 to win this game. So it's basically a 50-50 chance for them to move on uh, with the line opening. Uh, most likely result is 1-1. That's at plus 550. Uh, second highest highest result is the United States two uh, nothing or two to one, and then a nil nil draw is at. Uh, plus 800 the two zero two one is is plus 750 Um, so it it certainly seems like this comes down to how much offense does the united states have in this game and and you're right if it comes down to a set piece are they able to convert one um are are they able to finish their chances um it's going to be interesting to see how dangerous the united states look against a team that we probably should beat um so yeah i'm 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 not if we're on the panic button meter, I I think it's around a six right now, but I think we're going to learn very, very early on, um, depending on how dangerous the United States look, uh, if they're going to be able to if they're going to move on uh, or if it's going to be one of the games where they just come out flat and it's just not their day.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, one thing I, the, I'm talking myself into it. I feel more and more like we might see Jesus Ferrer get the start and as a you know <laughs> switching the striker for the third time in this game um, because he's he has been a guy for the U.S. that you know, hasn't necessarily scored as much recently as you'd hope for, but he's been the one striker for the U.S. that has always found his shot um, and is you know capable of getting getting on the end of getting into dangerous spots and getting a shot off. So um, they need no, no, probably need a lot of shots to break through against Iran, and it wouldn't surprise me if you know because of that he ends up being the the striker. Um, um, You know, that and the fact that they, you know, nobody else has really taken over that position in the first two games. I think they might go back to Sargent. I mean, Sargent
0: didn't hit the post uh, in the first game. I wouldn't be shocked if he goes 55, 60 minutes and then they put on someone else. Maybe it is Ferreira. Uh, but I, I think they go back to Sargent, which is kind of plan A that maybe now that it's a weaker opponent, uh, may, maybe they're going to go with Sargent and, and hope he's able to bury one. Because I think he is the person that Greg probably has the most confidence in. Um, but we'll see. Any predictions you want to go here, Sean?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna go with a uh,
0: two to one U.S. win. I I think I'll go pessimism and go one one draw. Although actually no, because Matt, you know, one nothing, one nothing, nothing's getting by Matt Turner. <laughs> what am I talking about? Pfft. Any final thoughts on the United States here today, Sean? Before we move on to some Revs news.
1: No, I, I just have to say I'm a, a lot more positive about this team after today than I, than I was after um after the Wales game. I know I listened to the podcast with um, Tanner and, and Sam talking about the game last week. They are pretty down on this U.S. team. Um, I'm, I'm much more positive about it after this game than that game. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, Wales was a bad draw, and England is a good draw. So yep. uh, interesting what uh, one result can kind of do and, and change your outlook. Uh, Sean, we do have some Revs news here. The re-entry draft happened, and that's not – usually something that you expect a lot of news from. The Revs haven't selected a player since 2014 in the re-entry draft, but they decided to use uh, their pick. Actually, they traded up. They traded $50,000 in general allocation money uh, to DC United to get the number one overall pick in the re-entry draft, and they selected former United States men's national team player Bobby Wood with the first pick. Basically, the re-entry draft is for players who don't yet reach free agency, and to reach free agency, you need a certain number of years in the league and a certain age. Bobby Wood doesn't have the years in, in Major League Soccer to reach free agency right away. So um, basically, stage one is you're picking up the contract that was declined from their former team. Uh, and stage two is you ha- have the right to negotiate a contract. This was stage two of the re-entry draft. So the Revs are essentially have seven days to offer Bobby Wood a contract. Uh, and if he declines, uh, then the Revs will retain his rights. So we are in the midst of that seven-day period. But Sean, uh, I think a lot of people were surprised that Bobby Wood was selected by the Revs. Um, what's your reaction to this?
1: Yeah, I, don't, I was surprised by it too. Um, I mean, we've got to look at his salary for last year. Obviously, they're not picking that up by taking him in the second round, but his base salary was 925000 His guaranteed comp was over a million, uh, 1.018. Um, so this is a guy that was making a lot of money last year. I would expect that he would take a you know, pretty significant pay cut if he was coming to the Revs. but how significant, I don't know. You think he's going to be down to you know Teal Bunbury level of... 400,000? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think he might probably make more than that. Um, and so my concern with Bobby Wood is he kind of fits into the out the door, uh, type of signing and that, you know, he hasn't had a good season in five or six years. He hasn't had double digit goals in five or six years. Um, he went to Rail salt, Lake. I think he had you know, two goals last year or three goals last year and two goals a year before he's gotten five goals over two seasons. Um, and you know, has, has moments where he looks good, but you know, he had an abductor surgery um, back in June was supposed to be out two to three months and, you know, didn't play another game last season. Um, you know, he was already struggling with a lot of injuries over his career, definitely in the injury prone category. Um, and then to have a serious surgery like that and, you know, haven't even seen him come back yet. Um, it's, it's very difficult. You know, it's a, it's a very questionable signing for the Revs, where you know last year they were killed by having guys that were injured and not fit uh, a lot, and now they've added another guy that's frequently injured and not fit, um, and it's coming off a major surgery where he hasn't played again since then. So if you're paying this guy, you know, maybe six hundred thousand or whatever you're gonna offer him in salary, um, you're committing a lot to sign Bobby Wood when he hasn't really had a good season in five or six years, um, and you know, thirty years old and. Has shown little signs that he's going to go back to the player that he was that you know made him a U.S. national team player. Uh, so uh, with all that said, I don't like the signing. Um, it reminds me of kind of the Omar and Josie signings of the past winter, where Bruce kind of signed a familiar player who you know previously was very good, but has kind of on the you know on the wrong side of 30 now and has had a lot of injuries. Um, again, if they end up signing him for you know 300,000 or something, then sure, it was you know, maybe worth the flyer, but. Uh, if you end up giving him you know, six hundred thousand plus, and plus you had to trade up to get him for fifty thousand GAM, um, you're starting to expend a lot of resources in another forward that uh, hasn't seen the field since last June, hasn't scored a lot of goals in six years, um, and you know just you know it just seems like kind of a lazy signing in that sense. Of he was readily available, he was a a name that's out there uh, that people have heard of, um, but hasn't really been a great player in five or six years.
0: Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. And and just so our listeners know his stats, he had three goals and one assist in 990 minutes last year for Real Salt Lake. The year before that, he had two goals, one assist in 618 minutes. He did have a goal in uh, one of his three games played with Real Salt Lake um, in the playoffs last season. Now he didn't start any of those games. Uh, he played 97 minutes overall, but he did score on the one shot he had in the playoffs in 2021. Um, if you look at American soccer analysis too, um, this season he had 4.07 expected goals. So he was minus one expected er, or an expected goal differential of minus one, uh, which is not a good sign. So not only is he not having good results, uh, in the time he is on the field, um, but, uh, the the expanded metrics kind of show he's he's not even making the best of his opportunities. Uh, he's 30 years old. Um, really really curious move. I actually think you know compared to the Josie move, Josie came back from injury last year and had scored some goals for TFC. Um, I, I think you can make the argument that that you know there was some logic behind that one. Um, I'm not sure what the logic behind the Bobby Wood acquisition is here. Now the Revs don't necessarily need to sign him to a contract they just need to make an offer and they will retain his rights so i I don't know if bobby wood is expected to go overseas and the revs want to retain his rights you know in that case um i I don't know how serious the conversation with bobby wood is i assume it it is if you're trading up to get him um you know the revs had the ninth pick overall so they are leapfrogging eight teams and spending fifty thousand dollars in gam for Bobby Wood, uh, which makes me curious if other teams were interested in Bobby Wood. I can't imagine that's the case because I, I I don't know. He, he was hurt towards the the second. He was hurt in the second half of this past season. Um, the results weren't great when he was on the field. He's thirty years old, so it's not even like this is a project. Um, this is a buy low on a thirty year old striker. And some of these moves are head scratchers, and you think, well, there's another shoe to drop here, um, but. You know Josie is still on the roster, so does this mean that Josie is gone uh, and, and we need a backup striker? Um, is Bo leaving? I, I don't think he is. I, I, there have been reports that he is staying with the Revs uh, through the remainder of his contract for 2023. But I, I don't know. I, I'm very confused at this. I, I guess on paper, he's just the veteran striker that's going to be on the bench and fill in for Vrioni and Bo. But I don't think he's that effective of a player. Um, and as someone brought po- pointed out, um, the Revs essentially traded away Teal Bunbury for seventy five thousand GAM. I believe it was seventy five thousand dollars in GAM last off season, uh, and and he's left a void that the Revs are essentially overspending to fill uh, between Josie Altidore and now Bobby Wood. So um, a real head scratcher. I'm not really sure what's going to happen, but I assume the fact that they are moving up to select Bobby Wood means they have a serious interest in signing him.
1: Yeah, it it has to mean that they're moving on from Josie Altidore. I think we assumed that was going to happen anyways, but it, it would be absolutely asinine to go into the season with Bobby Wood and Josie Altidore as your you know, your your third and fourth choice strikers, two injury prone, overpaid, uh, washed up players that haven't been good in, in several years. I don't, I, I can't imagine that's the plan.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and part of me wonders if this is a thrifty MLS move where you're acquiring someone's right, you know, hypothetically, let's say some team was really interested in Bobby Wood, hypothetically, let's say that, and they were going to select him third in the re-entry draft and the Revs hop him and they're now, you know, trying to spin his rights to this team or something like that. Even if that's the case, you know, you, what more are you going to get more than $50,000 in, in GAM? You know what I mean? Right. Like his rights aren't worth really anything, um, in my opinion. I mean, if, if his name wasn't Bobby Wood, is he being selected by anyone? I, I don't think so. So, um this one's a weird one. This is one of the weirder moves the Revs have have made and uh, I would have rather have signed Marcos Diaz to a Revs one contract instead of a Revs two contract and you know put a kid as a as a backup striker cuz uh, I don't know. I'm I'm very confused at this one.
1: I mean he's got about the same strike rate as Justin Redicks over the past couple seasons so
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you're going to a 4-2-3-1, if Rioni gets hurt, just move Bo to striker. Right. That's the revs news. Uh, We'll see if they they come to a contract agreement. And uh, I I assume this, I think the seven day window will end before the Iran game. So maybe we'll have an update uh, following the Iran game. But Sean, uh, any final thoughts before we depart here today?
1: No, I just on the on the website, I thought we'd hear we'd have more news than just this by now, um, given kind of what we heard about the transfer windows and everything that we, we might have seen a, a couple more moves by the revs than we've seen so far. So uh, this one, I think, is a little bit of a disappointing one. So very curious to see what the revs do. Uh, I guess, probably more likely post-World Cup at this point. Um, But so far, I think there's a lot of work left to be done for the Revs. Well, Sean, uh, people on social media have
0: pointed out that Bruce Arena is giving player ratings for the United States uh, Men's National, you know, the the World Cup. And because he's so busy doing these player ratings, he's not paying any attention to the Revs side. So I'm sure that's the reason.
1: (laughs) I do think it's funny that he's doing player ratings. I remember... um, how much uh, when when Jay Heaps was the coach? How much uh, certain players and, and people involved did not like it when we gave player ratings? So it's funny now to see a Revs coach uh, giving player ratings. But
0: <laughs> uh, well, there are some stories there that uh, yeah, you've told me some stories that haven't made their way into the podcast. Maybe someday we'll <laughs> reveal those stories uh, and and certain players uh, and, and certain players' parents uh, sending emails <laughs> upset about uh, their player ratings uh, from New England Soccer today. But uh, maybe, maybe we'll save that for another time. Thank you, Sean, for joining me today. We'll be back with a review for The Iran Game. Uh, If you don't follow us on social media, follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. And also be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram Revolution Recap pages. Also, if you have not already, please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening. We greatly appreciate it. Um, Reviews are really what keeps us going. So uh, if you haven't done that already on both iTunes and Spotify, please, please do that. Uh, Sean, you'll be back with a podcast on Tuesday following Iran. I will not be here, but thank you everyone for listening. And until Tuesday, go USA.